So I have a friend. This guy studied law in college, got a job at one of the big firms in Dublin, worked with them for a couple of years, and then, aged 26, 27, decided it wasn't for him. All those hours he put into it, studying for his exams, establishing himself with the firm, all the money he stood to make as an employee or possibly as a partner of this firm, none of this mattered. He knew it wasn't for him, and that was that. He retrained as a physio, works now in the Matter Hospital in Dublin, makes a lot less money than he would if he was still with this firm, but he's happy. Welcome, everybody, to episode two of In the Lamplight. Luke and Rory are with me as always. How are Hello. you, lads? How are you? Crack. So, uh, I was thinking about you. You're, you're both around this age, lads, 26, 27, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe maybe giving Rory a few years off there, but... Um, just just one. Well, well just, just one. one. All right. Okay, okay. <laughs> all right. a second. Uh, but I thought I'd ask ye, you know, um, Luke first, because... I figured last week I asked Rory most of the questions first. So, um, Luke, you're in the hot seat first this time. Uh, did you always know you wanted to have a studio, produce music, record music, or did you have any major about turns along the way? Is this um, is this a trick question? Is there is there an ambush waiting for me here again <laughs> this week? Why w- why would you think that? <laughs> I don't know. I just I don't know. I don't know. Can I trust? But you know, we'll see. It's all about you. No, <laughs> <laughs> no not this time, Luke. Um, go on, go on. Let us know, Luke. What's the crack? What's... Uh, no, I I absolutely didn't. Um, I the first thing that I I can remember really really wanting to be was as a child I desperately wanted to uh, drive diggers and tractors and all sorts of kind of farm and plant machinery Fair that enough. was my dearest Standard dearest enough, yeah. ambition um, and then I went through a a period of kind of maybe not really having such a strong ambition for anything and then, you know, you kind of get into transition year in school or whatever, and there's uh, career guidance counsellors kind of saying to you, well, you need to start thinking about what you're going to do when you go to college. And uh, um, so then you kind of had to start thinking about it again. And I really hadn't a clue. Um, I am, I was, and I am still uh, hugely into aviation. So for quite a while, I was, you know, I was thinking I, I was wow. going to go off and train to be a pilot. Um, actually took some lessons for a PPL and everything. Did you? And, yeah, yeah. As in um, you've flown a plane? And that's that's still uh, like a really... On, no, well, well, hold on, hang hold on, on a second. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've <laughs> flown a plane on your own? No, no, not on my own. No, God, no. Never got As that it, far. But, uh, uh, like, okay, so what's... Sorry, this is... This came out of nowhere. You flew a plane, like you with your hands on the joystick thing sitting in the cockpit. It's called a yoke. That's the actual <laughs> name for it. It's, it's okay, called a yoke. Oh, sorry, that would have even sounded worse. So you've you had your hand on the yoke as you're flying the plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was kind of on the, the, what I wanted for quite a while, and then just through one thing and another. That's looking at it, it's hugely expensive. Fantastic, like it's, it's 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 remortgage your house kind of levels of expensive, and um, just for one reason or another, that wasn't actually the main reason, uh, but the, for one reason or another, just didn't go down that road. I still want to if I if I ever get to the stage where in my life like I have enough money set aside that I can go and, and 
you know, comfortably pay uh, for it myself, I'll go on and I'll train and I'll get a private pilot's license because I just think it would be really nice to be able to go out to the aero club <laughs> and take one of the planes and just go for a spin on a nice sunny day, go flying over Ben Bolton. It'll be a deadly stuff. thing to just throw into a conversation. You're yeah, like, what do you do this weekend? Just, oh, I walk the dog. Yeah. Uh, what do you do, Kieran? Oh, myself and the kids, we we went climbing Knocknaray. What do you do, Luke? Flew over Ben Bolton <laughs> in my own plane. Yeah. <laughs> it'd be a great... Um, It'd be a great date. Where are you taking me? Well. <laughs> <laughs> That's gas. That's gas. Well, I didn't see um, the conversation going this way. Yeah, no, so, sure. there, so there was that. And then I think for quite a lot of, uh, you know, kind of leaving cert, I was kind of really looking at theatre in Galway. Um, and then I, for a while, I even ended up looking in physics in Galway. And that would have been a terrible idea because I hate maths. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, so then music technology in Maynooth kind of just that wasn't even a dear ambition it was just like well I need to pick something now and I, I record all this stuff at home anyway so let's go and do music technology in Maynooth and I'd say right. while I was there I didn't even immerse myself in music technology in Maynooth when, when I graduated on the day of my graduation two separate people in two separate conversations said to me I thought you dropped out because <laughs> I was never at it. I was involved in the drama society and I was off doing this, that and the other and I did not immerse myself in the course. Um, and then I never even made a conscious decision to actually move back to Sligo. It just kind of happened and I just slowly drifted into playing um music and gigging and over a couple of years I never even made a conscious decision do you know what I'm going to open a recording studio it just it all drifted it all just kind of happened but even though there was nothing really con you know there was no um you know plan there for me to make things happen this way the way that things have worked out for me is absolutely fantastic I'm doing something I love and bar the the pandemic and everything this year I was doing really well doing something that I yeah. love and yeah. um, even though I've drifted here I uh, couldn't be happier with what I'm doing Great well look we'll uh, we'll record a podcast on a plane one day Rory what do you reckon? That was it that was like just out of nowhere Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We spent so much time together over the last little while you know formulating this and like I feel like we've had quite a few conversations and at yeah. no point in any of them conversations did Luke <laughs> say oh yeah lads I fly planes Yeah <laughs> 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 Just another thing Luke does. Um, <laughs> Plays Rory, every instrument under the sun. You have a few. Uh, well, you're you're a man of many talents yourself, Rory. Um, yes, but, yes. Okay, so you, you have a barber shop, <laughs> Maitland's Barber Shop in Colooney. You obviously have your production company. Um, but but like, how did all that come about, or is is that something you made a conscious choice along the way, or are we always on this path, or or how did it work for you? No, no. Again, as Luke was saying there, <clears throat> a lot of the decisions that I've made career wise have just happened you know they've 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 happened on either the spur of the moment or it's been like a very short space of time and I said I want to do this and then I think like I've had loads of ideas over the years of things that I wanted to do but every now and again an idea really grabs you you know and it kind of and, and you just kind of want to go boom okay lovely let's go and, and, and throw myself into that you know yeah 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 okay well how, how did the barber thing come about uh it's a funny story oh yeah <laughs> So I worked, um, I worked in the Belfry, and for anyone who knows uh, Sligo Town, the Belfry is a big kind of well-known building. Absolutely, uh, yeah. In in the middle of Sligo, great spot. And yeah, and it's great. And don't get me wrong, I loved working there, and I loved the people that I worked with, and everything was great. But anyone who's worked in 
food service or Mm-mm. or dealing dealing with the public in, in in that way knows that you can have really bad days you know you can have days that either you're ha- you're having an off day or the people that you're serving are having an off day and it just feels like a never-ending day yeah and then after one of them particularly bad lunch services like a lunch service that i was doing it was pre- particularly bad one and uh i just thought no i need to do something different yeah so i walked out the front door of the belfry and then into <laughs> the building like directly next door which is alfie's barber shop uh, and, Alfie, <laughs> and Alfie happened to be standing at the till and he says to me, he says, hello, um, as he would to any punter. And I says, hi, uh, my name's Rory. Um, and I just wonder, would you train me as a barber? And he kind of looked, <laughs> he looked at me for a second and he goes, yeah, okay, you can start on Monday if you'd like. So wow. then, so yeah. yeah, yeah. That's unreal. What if, what if like Alfie's and Forget Me Not florists were in the opposite buildings? Yeah, well, you know, well, <laughs> if you if you just you just picked the, the building next door to the if Belfry, if you had said, walked out of the Belfry and the thing immediately <laughs> next door was a flight training school, then you would have become a pilot before yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, that's and a I mad think, story. Ah, it's funny though because it's such a testament to Alfie. You know, I had some of the best of my working years with him. Yeah, and like it's not even my favorite story of Alfie. It's one of my favorites, but my we'll, favorite we'll, story of Alfie is. Oh, go on. I uh, just quickly, quickly. I, I, I yeah, give yeah. you a quick, a quick dose of it. When I was leaving Alfie's. So I'd been there for four or five years. I had trained and everything was grand. And I says to him, Alfie, an opportunity has come up um, come up for me in, in Colony and I, I want to go and I want to open my own barbershop. And he said to me, he said, look, Rory, if there was a way that I thought that I could keep you here, I would. But I was a young man once myself wanting to open my own shop. And he said, there's probably very limited things that I could offer you to, to stay here. And I said, there's not really, Alfie. So when I, so I went ahead and started to go and open my own shop and order in all the stuff that I needed. And uh, my chair, my chair, I, I ordered it from America and it was going to be really late for my opening. So it was, right. so I could have been cutting people's hair on a kitchen chair, you know, so, but yeah. Alfie had a couple of spare chairs upstairs. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'm really going to stick my neck out here <laughs> and, and, and ask as someone who I'm going into kind of competition with, who's my old boss to, yeah. for a chair. And I said, Alfie, look, I, I know this, uh, you can say no straight away. I just said, I, I'd hate myself if I didn't ask. I said, is there any chance I could borrow a chair yeah. to open my shop and I'll drop it back when it's done? Yeah. And he said, Rory, go upstairs and pick any chair you'd like there, son, and you can just drop it back whenever you like. I just Blast. thought that's... Such a testament to who That's he is so as a person, sound. you know. Yeah, so yeah. like just ridiculous. He knew he couldn't change it, so he was just going to help what was happening, you know. And I thought that was great. Like, lovely, lovely, lovely. Wow, that's a great story. <laughs> Two great stories. Jeez, we found out a lot already today, lads. <laughs> and we're going to find out more because uh, this week's guest uh, made made a big decision about her career at a similar stage of her life, probably a bit earlier, maybe around the age of twenty two, twenty three. She was heading in one direction, which you know, quite a glamorous, high profile direction. Um, but she figured, I guess like my friend at the start of this show, that this this wasn't for her. And so she made a big call. Um, so we're, we really hope you enjoy this episode. We all loved it. We found it really interesting. Uh, this is Neve Crowley. So, Neve, you are very welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Karen. Um, thanks for coming out here. Uh, I guess, look, we've known each other a good while at this stage and we've played plenty together and we've, I guess, loads of, loads of nice memories to look back on. Um, but I suppose we've only probably played together or got to know each other in the last, I don't know, eight to ten years, I imagine, something like that anyway. Yeah, that'd be about right, I think. Yeah, which means there's a, a decent... Um, 
a decent part of your life that I, I know very little about. And I just thought it might be interesting for the listeners uh, to hear a little bit about this. Um, so I spoke to a few people and uh, <laughs> I, I, I found out some interesting things. I bet you did. Um, and I heard some interesting rumours. So I, I'm going to put one of these rumours to you first, Neve. Is it true you broke your arm six times as a child? It's actually not true. It's only five. It's only five. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that is mad. Yeah. Um, I think my mother would say I was a bit of a tomboy growing right. up. And uh, every second year through primary school, I managed to break my arm. Uh, the doctors and nurses in casualty knew me by name uh, coming in the door. Yeah. So and a couple of legs as well along the way. And, no way. Yeah. And like... Was it that you had particularly brittle bones or did this just, no. you just got in loads of accidents? Uh, yeah, just... What sort of things? Jumping off swings and, you know, um, uh, going on boot skates and down steps and things like that and the things you shouldn't really be doing. <laughs> right, okay. And so I'm guessing you were, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you started playing violin at an early age. Yeah, I, I, I actually started piano first. Okay. Um, my mum was a piano teacher and my aunt Kathleen was a piano teacher as well. Um, and I started piano first. I just used to go in and tinkle away on the piano all the time. But um, uh, then I started playing the violin uh, with Callie Costello, uh, who's a teacher there in Ballincar. Uh, is a lovely lady. And uh, just from the second I had it in my hand, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And what age was that? Uh, I started violin when I was five. Okay. And what did all these broken arms do for your violin practice? <laughs> I mean, um, some would say it, it uh, stopped me having to practice for a few <laughs> weeks. Um, but yeah, not not the best thing for your practice. But uh, yeah, do you know, I, I enjoyed practicing. You know, my mum would always say that she never had to ask me to, to go in and practice. You know, maybe I wasn't doing exactly the, the right practice, but I was always playing. And, uh, you know, it was just something I knew from from day one. That's what I was going to do. OK, it's funny. I mean, we both teach uh, students and that's something you always love to hear a parent say coming back to you that we don't have to tell us. We don't have to tell our child to go practice. They yeah. just do it themselves. That's it. And it's the most important thing is actually that they're just having fun with their music. And, you know, everybody can enjoy it to their own level in so many different ways. Yeah. And I think that's really important as a teacher to impart that, that, that you know, every child can can get so much out of music in their own way, but it's really important that they do it in their own way. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you, so as a teacher, you need to be flexible and realise, yes, if you're going to be the top and an international soloist or whatever, there's one path that you need to take, but there are so many other paths for, for you know, kids to enjoy music through as well. They, yeah. They're just as important. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of, you know, going to the top and being an international soloist, that was the sort of path you were on for a while. Um, ha like how... How did that, like, what did you have to do aged six, age 10, age 13, age 18 to sort of be on that path? What was well, your life like around um, then? When I was uh, getting ready to go to secondary school, um, uh, I remember um, I was offered a scholarship to a music school, a specialised music school in the UK. Um, and my mum was, you know, having to deal with the prospect of having to send her only child to board in, in a specialised music school in the UK. Um, so she went into the Ursuline and spoke to the principal in the Ursuline and asked her, uh, would it be possible for me to be excused from a number of subjects and to pursue my music 
um, practicing whatever at the time. Um, and the Ursuline were just incredible. They said that was no problem. They gave me my own music room that I could go and practice in. Um, and I was excused from a number of subjects um, right from, from first year and was able to, to use those class times to go in and practice. The thing was you needed to practice and by the time I went to college, I, we were expected to practice between five and six hours a day. And that was not your lectures and orchestra rehearsals and everything were separate to that. So you're supposed to do between five and six hours practice by yourself each, each day. This was in college, sort of aged, aged yeah. 18 or so. Yeah. Age so, so the whole process up to that was building up to being right. that. So, I mean, you know, every day as, as a nine year old or 10 year old, I was practicing, you know, an hour hour and a half and, and I remember my um, great friend Catherine Kennedy just sitting outside my house waiting for the green flag when, when I'd finished the practice and I could come out to play and then go and jump off swings and break my arms. And break your arms <laughs> so you didn't have to practice the next day. <laughs> right, gas. And like, um, am I right that during secondary school then uh, as well as this, you know, the, the, the what sounds like, you know, that the Ursuline, you know, really being flexible oh, around you and, yeah. and being really, really what you needed at that time. But you were also up and down to Dublin a lot at that at that stage. Yeah, that I right? actually started going to Dublin when I was six. Oh, did you? Right. Yeah. Okay. So um, I was doing my grade two piano exam and uh, the examiner um, came out to my mother after the exam and asked her, um, would she send me to Dublin? Because he said he'd like to teach me. And uh Mum kind of said okay, and uh, so that was from from the age of six. I started going up every single week on the train, which took a hell of a lot longer then than it does now. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, every weekend for for eleven years went okay. up and down. And actually, in the last couple of years, um, I was going twice a week. Right. Yeah. So okay. just and and then I was just I was studying uh, because it, there was only three trains a day at the time. Yeah. So you could take the first train in the morning at like a quarter to seven. Um, and, you know, you get in at kind of just after 10 o'clock, get over to the academy in, in Westland Row, do my piano lesson, my violin lesson, some theory, some orchestra, you know, and then the next train back was at one o'clock. So there was no way you could make that. So the last train was at half six. So we had to fill up the rest of the day. So I ended up learning the clarinet, the harp, ah, the flute, right. the recorder, you name it. I, I tried singing, yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was really just, it was filling filling up the day so okay. that, that we had time. And, and then my big treat on the way home, we would walk from uh, Weston Row back to Connolly Station and we used to go down Tara Street and there was a secondhand bookshop there called Bamba Bookshop. And I used to go in and buy the Famous Five and, uh, you know, all the Enid Blytons and gradually graduated into, um, you know, other other titles as I got a little bit yeah, older brilliant. but that was the excitement and I still have every single one of those books Amazing. at home nice. you know 20p in Bamba yeah. Bookshop and yeah. on Tara Street but that was my treat and that was me on the train that on the way home, I'd, the train have home. It, I'd have it read by the time I got back to Sligo so you know Drummond and Edwardstown and oh, Colony well. and <laughs> Maynooth all these yeah. all these stops like the back of your hand very good okay another rumour I'm gonna I heard Neve that I'm gonna throw at you you got the highest mark in music in the history of the Leaving Cert um, again, I don't know the about the history, uh, the year I took it. Oh, the year yeah. you took yeah, it. Yeah, the year I took it, I got, there was a medal called the Pather Killeen Medal. Right. I'm not sure if it's still okay. um, been awarded, but yeah, I won the, the Pather Killeen Medal for the, for okay. the music. And the like, was it, there yeah. much um, practical uh, at well, that point, like, did you have to play for the exam yeah, at all? Oh, yeah, you did, it's right. still very much so the the way it is now. It's, it's you know a huge percentage. About fifty percent of the mark would go on your performance, and then fifty percent on the on the, the, on the uh, theory the paper. Yeah, on okay. the exam paper. Okay, very good. Wow. Um, like, okay, when you were a teenager, was there any 
Was there any rebellion against this lifestyle or, or did? Yes, I do remember at the age of 12 informing my mother that I am, um, you know, I, I kind of had enough of this music. I wasn't going to bother with it anymore. Okay. And uh, I was just told to get back into that room and take out your violin <laughs> right. and do some practice. Right. Um, and my sole reasoning was that because I had to be up so early on a Saturday morning to go to Dublin for the train that I couldn't go to the cinema with my friends on a Friday night because I'd be out too late. I was going to ask that, like, did you miss out on, you know, things your friends were doing because you were, you, you know, you had to put the hours into to your friends? practice? Uh, to be honest with you, not that I would ever, I mean, I've just gained so many experiences and so many other friends. Like I had a whole other set of friends uh, in Dublin, all musicians who are colleagues of mine now still working in the profession, um, some of whom I went to college with, um, you know, and, and the music world is, as you know yourself from here, I mean, it's just a family. It mm. really is. And, mm. and uh, you know, it's... Um, it's it's lovely. I feel like I have my whole music family. It's between Dublin, London, um, you know, and obviously Sligo. Um, but my mother always made sure that I had just uh, knew what it was like just to grow up in Sligo, which, as far as I'm concerned, is the best place in the world to be. Yeah. Um, and you know, I have my friends, and we we uh, we we did all the things that that you know everybody else did. So personally, I don't think I lost out in anything. I think I had. Just oh, so good, many good. brilliant yeah, no, experiences. I, I suppose, you know, when you dedicate yourself to something in that way, um, you know, I remember back in the football days that, you know, you, you'd, you'd, you wouldn't go out on a Friday or Saturday night because, you know, you had a game on the Sunday. And uh, and that at, at times, I suppose, was, um, you know, it was a little bit jarring that you, or you couldn't go away to America for the summer like your friends might be doing, that sort of thing. But then... Um, like you say, you know, I got a whole new set of friends from football because these are the guys you were spending your time with at the time and mm. they're guys I'm still friends with no more than yeah. you're talking about with your with your music musicians that you met in Dublin and London, etc. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, right, so look, look we're going to play a few pieces of music uh, on, on the show here today and the first one, I guess, uh, you chose because it's associated with this part of your life, I guess, growing up learning the violin and uh, you made an appearance on the Late Late Toy Show yeah, your face. The <laughs> listeners can't see your cringing face at the moment, but uh, um, it's the dress and the hair and oh, the really? shoes and yeah. Well, Luke, we might see. Can we access some of the some of the video for this, perhaps? I think yeah, as Luke is doing can, his perm impersonation. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Excellent. We'll see. Can we Big can we include hair. that somewhere in the podcast? Um, really, there's no need. Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. It's out there for everyone to see. Surely. It's <laughs> uh, what's the piece, Neve? Uh, the piece is a. Uh, Gypsy Air, I suppose, really, it's, it's um, called Shardas by Monty. Um, and it's one of those iconic violin pieces that every violinist, you know, it's funny, even with my own students now, they're always kind of wondering, have they quite reached the level where they get to learn this piece now? It's just one of those I think every violinist, you know, lo loves to play. And it's, as I said, just... Um, just has a lot of memories for me that first, you know, that time of the joy and excitement of going to the Late Late Toy Show and everything at the yeah. age of 11 and, yeah. you know, just... Brilliant, yeah. brilliant. Okay, well, let's do it.
Till next time I have to play it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had the concentration face on for that one. <laughs> so we've been, you've been on the Late Late Toy Show. You've got the highest mark in music in the Leaving Cert. You have practiced a lot, you know, at this age, you're 18 and you head off to London. Is that the, that's the next thing that happens? You go to... I was 17, actually, 17. going to London. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what was the name of the college? The Royal College of Music. Okay. It's there in Kensington, just literally down the steps from the Albert Hall. It's okay. a gorgeous place. Wow. So tell us about your time in London. What was that like? Uh, it was incredible. I was there for five years. I absolutely loved every minute of it. I mean, it's such a vibrant city. Um, there's just, there was so much to learn um, just so much to do coming from a quiet village like Ross's Point and then just landing in the centre of London. Uh, so the first year I was there, I stayed in the halls of residence, um, Queen Alexandra's house. It was literally just next to the Albert Hall and also next to the English, the, the National Ballet School. So uh, there was a lot of ballerinas who stayed there as well. And they all used to get up at five o'clock in the morning because they'd have to be, that was the time they had to be in the studio, like by 5.30am and, and whatever. So, um, uh, yeah, again, uh, my mum had a lot to do with this, made sure that I stayed there because there was a curfew. You had to be in by 10.30 right. at night. And if you were later than 10.30, you had to sign a book to say uh, what time you're coming in at. So, uh I think my mum just liked to have that little bit of tabs on me just okay. for, for the first while when I escaped when I was 17. Yeah. Um, and then the second year I headed out to the uh, um, and, and, uh, Halls of Residence, which was in Gold Talk Road, a Shepherd's Bush. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just, we were, it, the college is part of the Imperial College campus. Um, and uh, it's, there were 90 people in my year. So there were, there were 90 people in my BMOS year, all studying various instruments Um and uh, yeah, it was just, it was an incredible place to be, just so vibrant. Okay, so so apart from the city and the atmosphere, what about the tuition at that stage? Like what, what was your, like what sort of people were you dealing with at this, at the, in terms of tutors? Well, or? when I got offered, the amazing thing is that you get offered your place uh, in the January before you actually do your leave insert. So you, you, it's basically done on audition. So um, the, I did a round of auditions to various colleges in the UK Um uh, which all had take place in kind of the October, November time. And then in the January, um, as I said, I, I was offered a place and, and my offer, I knew immediately when the time I walked in the door, that was a college that I wanted to go to when I went to the open day. Um, I just loved everything about it. But um, my offer was I had to get a B in music and a C in any other subject. 
in the right. insert. That was that was what. Uh, so you know, I mean, so that it was, was manageable. Yeah, it was definitely <laughs> manageable. It was definitely manageable. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I knew again. You know. So once I figured that I that's definitely where I was going. Um. I then went over to London a couple of times and met with some of the teachers there because the most important thing is that the person who's teaching you your principal study is the person you you want to teach you. And obviously, you know, your teacher is such a personal choice. You've, you know, as a personal relationship, you have to admire, but get on with, you know, th- this person that that is going to be um, uh, providing you your instrumental tuition. So uh, I went and took a number of lessons with different tutors there. And um, the professor, Itzhak Rashkowski, he's an um, uh, Israeli uh, violinist. And uh, he just, I, he was just wonderful. He called me Neef for five years. Um, <laughs> N-double-E-F. N-double-E-F, yeah, <laughs> Nif. Uh, but he was just, he still is the most incredible teacher and uh, he just, he just gave me so many insights into, um, you know, the music world as well as just the, the you know, the technique of, of performing. But when I arrived in college having played concertos with, um, you know, various orchestras and led the orchestra in the Royal Irish Academy of Music for the final two years that I was there. I went back to playing open strings for three months and I wasn't allowed to put my finger on the violin, went right back to open strings. So you just, you know, it just technique wise, everything. It was just. Um, wow. And what, what made him such a good teacher? Uh, I think, honestly, I think he just loves it so much. He eats, sleeps and breathes his teaching. Um uh, you know, I mean, he's a fabulous violinist, but he chose not to perform and chose to teach because that's what he really wanted to do. Um, and uh, he knew every single thing. He knew how to inspire you. He just, um, he, he's just incredible. Okay. Okay. Right. And then um, like in terms of, did you, did, did you play with orchestras there as well? Was there a college orchestra or, you know, in terms of apart from just you and your violin, what else was involved? There, there was a, you would do your, you had an hour and a half with of your instrumental lesson. Uh, you then had to take music history, um, oral classes, and you had to pass um, uh, to level two, which, you know, you would obviously should take it to the end of second year. But the college was built in a way that, you know, in what you excelled at, you could do quickly. So I actually, I would have a good ear um, and I managed to pass the level two oral in my first year. So then that, that section was done and I decided to continue with that. You could take electives in various things. So I took an elective in recording and um, there was, you know, composition and arrangement and, and uh, conducting and all these different things that you could um, uh, take as well. And as I said, they would do the college was amazing because they would let you go at your own pace, mm. you know, very much. You had to achieve a certain level to pass your year, obviously. But if you could go further than that, they were all for you, you doing that and, and uh, you know, completing just there were so many different electives and things to do. Um, you know, with the recording elective, we had to go out and there were, they would organise concerts uh, for students to perform at um, in various churches and places around the area. Um, and we would have to go and record each other, um, you know, per- performing at these concerts. Um, orchestra wise, uh, the goal was always to get into the symphony orchestra, which was generally the third years, the fourth years, postgraduates would be there. Um, you know, so it was always uh, really exciting when you got promoted up to, to the, because uh, they had about five or six different orchestras. Okay. Um, you know, so there was, uh, yeah, it was always exciting when you finally got to the pinnacle to the to the symphony orchestra. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, so uh, the third rumour then I'm going to mm. throw at you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is true, but you were... You were the first Irish person and the first violinist to win the Tagore 
gold medal in 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 that college. Is that correct? Yeah, I I um yeah, it was the Centenary Tagore um medal, which was um awarded to the most outstanding student in the college wow. that year. Okay. Um and yeah, I was a first uh that's pretty incredible. Like over in London, um, this prestigious award and and you go and win it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was How did that feel? Um, did you expect it? No. No. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Um, you know, and it was decided by the various tutors and things, you know, um, uh, over the year, but like with all the professors in the college and yeah, it was, it was incredible. Okay. It was an incredible feeling. Right. So you've, you've finished college and you've come to the, the pinnacle of, I guess, violin playing at, for someone of that age. And so what comes next or what, what, what happened at this point? You obviously, you could have, I'm guessing, um, you know, traveled the world. You could have led orchestras or, or what, what were the options for you at that stage? Well, what I would say is what I would find, um, you know, about classical music in particular um, and in the big cities like that, um, I suppose there are so many people vying for, you know, a small number of jobs, um, uh, no more than any profession, really. Uh, but you would tend to be quite pigeonholed. So like in London, you would either play for the shows in the West End or you would go to play in an orchestra and, and you get a, a job in an orchestra um, or you'd be a freelancer who would go and, and dep in, in various um, venues or you would be a teacher, um, you know, but there wasn't there's not a huge amount of crossover between them um so for me i like the variety um and i when i was in college in my postgrad was actually in orchestral performance i specialized in orchestral performance and i fully thought that i was going to just leave college and do the audition circuit and and take a job in an orchestra somewhere and as part of that uh, of the postgraduate, I got to go in and play in the London Symphony Orchestra and the BBC Symphony Orchestra um, and uh, then back here with the RT Concert Orchestra and National Symphony Orchestra. And I started to realise, actually, I didn't enjoy coming in on a Monday and having a piece of music on the stand that I had to play in a concert on Tuesday and would rehearse for, you know, six hours, whatever, and do the concert on Tuesday and then walk in on Wednesday morning and have another piece of music up on the stand that had to be done for the concert on Friday and not having any say over what music I was going to play. And some of it was wonderful. And I mean, I can tell you there is nothing in the world like the sound of sitting there when the full sound of a symphony orchestra gets going and you're just immersed in this sound and this incredible music. Like it, it is uh, such an amazing feeling. Mm, mm. But I didn't like not having, not being able to choose what I was going to play. So I started to realise actually this that I was fully convinced was what I was going to do for the rest of my life was actually not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life as I finished up my orchestral performance yeah. postgrad. Yeah. Um, and uh, I did always know I wanted to come back to Ireland. I always knew that. Um, and I, I was very lucky I, I came back to Sligo and that's really where the idea of setting up the School of Music came because um, I wanted to come back to Sligo. Uh, I could see that, that there was such a, obviously having experienced it myself, there was such an opening for music tuition needed here. I mean, there was certainly some wonderful, you know, piano teachers and, and um, uh, over the years and, and uh, you know, um, but I just, I, I just knew the amount of other instruments and the amount of other options that were there for music that I'd love to really want to give to kids in Sligo um, so that they wouldn't have to travel up and down to Dublin the way I did. Um, so the 
that idea started to grow and, and I, you know, was very lucky to start getting um, the extra work with the concert orchestra and the symphony orchestra in Dublin. So I tend to go up and down to Dublin quite a lot. And then I um, got into Camerat Ireland, which was um, an orchestra um, that was set up by Barry Douglas. And uh, I have just been blessed with the opportunity to tour the world. And we have literally toured all over. We, we've been to every state in, in the US. We've been to China, Russia, all okay. over Europe. So you have toured the world, but just in a different, in a, in different, a different way. In a different way. Yeah. yeah. Let me let me just bring you back to that decision, Neve, because it strikes me it strikes me that it was, I guess, a very mature decision for for somebody in their early twenties, just out of college, who has been on this path since the age of four or five. I mean, did it take you long to make it, or was it just something you woke up one day and realised? No, I kind of just woke up one day and said I could see this was my path home, and I knew it was something that was always kind of in the back of my mind. But just one day I woke up and it was like, yeah, I'm going to do this now. It's, you know, quicker than I thought I would. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I knew I was going to start with just um, the introduction to music because I felt there was no point in coming in and just trying to say, right, I'm just going to teach everybody how to play the violin now. Um, so I felt it was important to, you know, really just start from the beginning. So the very first year um, we were in the the VEC building um, in town and uh, I used to go in on a Saturday and I had a hundred kids came in every Saturday uh, to just do music basics, you know, and, and oral development and rhythmic awareness and singing songs and discovering all the different instruments of the orchestra. Um, and as Robert said, it all started with him sitting outside with a biscuit tin right. <laughs> collecting the money on a Saturday morning. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Well, look, uh, we might get a little bit more into the academy um after this next piece of music, but this is this is one of your own pieces, and uh, it's actually aptly titled, I think, for this stage of the interview because you know Sligo obviously has benefited so much from you coming back and and the decision you made, and so this piece is entitled "Glor Schliggy," the glory of Sligo, which was which I guess was what 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 drew you back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, we play it. Let's go for it. Let's go for it.
So that was uh, Dlor Schliggy, um, composed by Neve Crowley. And if I'm not mistaken, it was the Hawkswell who commissioned you to write that. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, it, uh, I always remember Marie, you know, calling me and asking me to do it. And and uh, I suppose composition was just something, it's not a road I had gone down. I had been so busy with teaching and um uh, it was just something that I hadn't kind of considered really. And, and uh, so I actually remember going for a run around Kylemore Abbey at the time when, when she'd asked me to do it. And and uh, my kids were down doing um, the Kjolnamara summer school um, down there. And uh, we had a fabulous week down there. Um, and I just remember just going for a run and thinking, yeah, maybe I'd like to give this a go. Um, so that was the first thing that, that I had written. And I suppose it, um, it kind of was a catalyst for just doing, I realised as, as the orchestra started to grow in the school, that um, with all the different instruments, you know, th- there's not that many pieces written for 18 flutes. Um, so I started realising that, uh, you know, it was going to be a good thing for me to to start arranging um, you know, music for the orchestra that would be balanced and that would work for the instruments that we have. And I've actually found even with music that, you know, p- pieces that we do now, every time we revisit it, I have to look at it again with fresh eyes because we have a totally different range of instrumentalists in front of us and, you know, different sections that are stronger that would be able to take solo lines. And, you know, so it's um, it's actually become a skill now between composing and arranging that, that I'm finding I'm, I'm using an awful lot more now as, as time has gone on. Obviously, not least uh, with an amount of uh, arrangements that tend to be thrown at me from yourself now from time to time. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about, Niamh. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. We might come back to that. But um, so this is, I guess this links into what you were talking about earlier in the chat was about you loving variety in your in your musical life and that that wasn't just going to, that wasn't going to be an option if you were to sit down uh, and 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 play play in one of the big orchestras in Dublin or London or wherever it was, um, so so you came back you came back to Sligo you you've obviously do a lot of work in the Hawkswell but let me just go back to the start of the academy you've spoken about setting it up um, I guess wanting Sligo people not to have to travel to Dublin every weekend or twice a week like you had to do for for eleven years as you said. Um, but still, like the, the, the last rumour I'm going to throw at you is, is that I heard that the very first weekend um, that you opened the Sligo Academy of Music, having done this <laughs> years of study. <laughs> I wish people could see her face as you haven't even <laughs> asked the question yet, but I wish people could see her face. <laughs> so anyway, she's come back, Neva's come back from London and she's the Tagore gold medal winner and she's the hottest violin player around. And she comes back and the first weekend she opens the Sligo Academy of Music, she ends up mopping up a child's pee. <laughs> that is correct. Is that true? That is correct. That is true. Okay. My sources are good on that one. Yes, your sources are correct. Right, okay. Um, And I've obviously, you know, been uh, in my early 20s and not having any children myself. I didn't realise this is just a thing that kids do. (laughs) Totally part of the course. Now it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. So if anything was going to bring you back and make you, (laughs) I guess, figure out the reality of the decision you made, this is it. That was it. That was the moment. But you stayed. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. yeah, 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 very good. And the academy has gone from strength to strength. Um, in the 20 years it's been open is that yeah, right this is your 20 right. year anniversary There's, yeah well well, yeah yeah we uh, we had so many big plans and so many big concerts and big ideas but sure we'll we'll have a 21st or a 25th or a whatever yeah absolutely so uh, I mean speaking of that how, how have you found 
this whole thing. You've been a musician with, with, you know, all these plans you had for concerts, all, you know, all the musicals you do, all the things you're involved in, the West Ocean String Quartet. You had a tour that lined up this yeah, year, I know. Yeah, we did a big tour. It was our 20th anniversary as well. And we did, we had just brought out, a, a, well, hadn't brought out. We were literally in the process of bringing out a new album, um, which would be our fifth album. And a... Then, yeah, COVID struck and, and that was the end of the tour. The whole whole tour has been pulled. I suppose it, it hasn't been easy for any of us. Um, you know, I'd have to say, I'm sure we all agree that, you know, the arts has kind of been neglected in in a lot of ways. Um, uh, you know, it's it's maybe, I suppose, something that we feel is, is essential, you know, as, as it's part of our the fabric of our, our, our world. But, um, you know, I have so many friends in, in the UK um, who actually they one of them organised um, the protest I don't know if you saw it recently just in, in Parliament Square there um, where uh, just all those musicians came together and they played um, Mars uh, from the planets nice. uh, but It was uh, like six, 600 or something yeah, wasn't there a huge, yeah, huge uh, crowd, even yeah. much more than they even anticipated were going to show up um, and uh, you know, I suppose what they're trying to say is that you know funding for the arts that that is coming through is is um, not really getting down right to the to the root level of all the musicians and and artists that um, that really could do with it. Mm. Um, you know, um, I suppose, uh, but yeah, it was an, an incredible thing. But you know, for them, I, I know that they're, all I see on my Facebook feed at the moment is um, where they were recommended to go and retrain in other ways and there's um, some kind of a, um, a thing you can put in your details and see what you should retrain as and it's just causing everybody quite a lot of amusement all the things that are coming back and one guy who I was in college with and I remember very well has been recommended that he would retrain as a chef which really makes a lot of us laugh it has to be said because okay. he couldn't even boil, <laughs> boil pasta when we were in college You remember his cooking well <laughs> yeah, yeah, or lack of yeah. very um, Can I, can I just Luke, yeah. uh, because you mentioned musicals a second ago, um, and that that's really how I know you. But I met you first as a, a pianist. Yeah. The, the first one, when, when, I think it was two thousand and six, Oliver, and you are, and I met you as a pianist. Yeah. And it's only later, I think, I if I recall right, you actually played violin then on the show. Yes. And and I came in having seen you for months as Neve the piano player, and all of a sudden <laughs> I was like, oh, all right, the violin. But you, the whole kind of um, podcast you've been talking about violin. But where has piano been, like in your life? Like, when, well, well, piano was when the you first... were in London and and everything. Like, where was piano in that progression? Were you studying piano as well, or was yeah, it, yeah, I was. I started off as a joint first study. Uh, with the two instruments but I quickly went then to doing piano accompaniment so I would have actually taken piano accompaniment as a second study the whole way through college um, so I, you know it was never really my thing to be sitting down playing Beethoven sonatas or whatever but I loved um, I I love reading music and I love sitting down and I'm, you know I love just being handed a piece of music and and you know, away you go and play it. And, and uh, that's a skill that I've developed, I suppose, from uh, right from the beginning. Um, so, yeah, I mean, piano is obviously a huge um, part of life for me with the musicals. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, my my piano lives in dressing room one uh, in the, in the <laughs> home as well for long periods of time. Um, you know, and, and I mean, I just, uh, the my experiences of, of the musicals here through so many different groups through the fun company and the pop-up theatre company and the Sligo Musical Society you know we're, we're so blessed to have such a rich society yeah, of, a lot going on. Of, of musicals um, 
you know, here. And, and that's one thing I do miss hugely, actually, is the just the camaraderie of going into rehearsal, you know, every week and and seeing the same bunch of people and, and uh, just knowing that you're all in there with one goal to put on the best show you possibly can and entertain everybody who comes through the door to see the show, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly something I marvel at when I see, you know, I might be, I might be, believe it or not, in the audience for one or two of these musicals. Never. And, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, you'd be a big fan of musicals, big wouldn't you, Karen? Well, you know, sometimes... Musicals uh, team night, the second oh, we get out yeah. of lockdown. That's the next yeah, first team night. I think, my, actually, we might have them outnumbered today, lads. Absolutely. <laughs> Three Absolutely. to one here. <laughs> sometimes my daughter wants to go and, you know, I can't, <laughs> I can't say no. I can't say no. Yeah, um, I love it when you get there. <laughs> but I'm watching Neve. I'm sitting and I see these, you know, these incredibly complicated pieces of sheet music and she just you know it's a it's an amazing skill to have you can just sit down read it play it you know from the sheet to your fingers just just like that and it's obviously something you've worked on for years and yeah. something you develop it's there's no secret to it it's just doing lots and lots of it it is practice yeah. practice yeah. practice yeah yeah, yeah. no <laughs> that's to say the standard joke goes how do you get to carnegie yeah. hall practice yeah. practice practice yeah yeah, yeah yeah no for sure and it seems like something you uh, have lived through um look it's been great talking to you neve uh uh, it's been great hearing about, you know, the earlier part of your life. Um, I guess one thing we've collaborated on a lot in recent years has been the team nights and you've you've, you've joked about the the arrangements and I, I'm, I I do rely on you in, <laughs> hugely in the weeks leading up to the show when I've, I suppose, my mind on, on other things and it's just brilliant to be able to say, Neve, would you mind putting the, the strings or the horns together for this and, and it's always an amazing job you do. Uh, this last song we're going to play before we finish um, was from the last live team night we got to do back in February. Uh, we put together an arrangement of uh, Don't Leave Me This Way, uh, which which put you through your improvisational paces, I think. There you go. It's a new skill I'm developing all the time. Brilliant. Brilliant. Right. Well, let's do it. This is Don't Leave Me This Way.
Okay, Neve. <laughs> Uh, you are you are going to leave us this way on that on, that, on that note. Um, look, that was amazing. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, anyone watching the videos of these uh, podcasts will see, uh, as Luke called it, my concentration face. Uh, I was put through my paces in those tunes, but as always, look, it's 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 lovely playing with you, and thank you very much for coming in. Pleasure as always, Kieran. Okay. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. What about Neve, guys? Let's give it up. <laughs> Thanks, Neve. Thanks, Thanks guys. Wow. I mean, that was that was just so enjoyable. I think we all came out of that recording, lads, delighted with how it went. We all just really enjoyed listening to Neve tell her story. Yeah, I'm like sure. Neve, she she's like I, I don't know how to describe her. Every time Neve puts herself in a situation that you mightn't have seen her in before, she seems to excel at it. Like I've like I know Neve for years, uh, and I've I've done musicals with her and I've done theme nights with her, etc. And there's just this air of confidence about her. Uh, I don't know if it, if, if that's just from years of doing what she's what she does, but I don't know. She's just so she re- really relaxes you the way she talks, you know, and, and the way she talks about her life. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, she's so um, she's so kind of self assured in everything that she does, uh, just because she has spent so long building up this skill set, this like um, immensely disciplined skill set that that you know using that skill set to her is now second nature when she comes and sits down on a piano to play a, a musical rehearsal or a classical piece or accompaniment or brings out you know the same on the violin it's just so um she's so relaxed doing it yeah and yeah. and you know she's relaxed and comfortable doing it and that relaxes you and and no more than shamey um last week she's incredibly humble about it as well I, I thought that like the whole way through it. I was like, does Neve Crowley know how good she is at what she does? Like, uh, she's just talking about like, oh yeah, and I used to go to like lessons and I really enjoy it. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, but you're world class. Like, can yeah. we just allude to that for a minute? Yeah, yeah. But the other thing about her is, I mean, not that, it, I mean, she is truly world class at what she does. At, play, at playing, you know, playing the violin. I just, I could, you know, it's, it's a fella, um, Steve Wickham said to me once, you know, I did a concert with Neve and with Michael Rooney. Lovely concert, playing a lot of Michael's stuff, playing a few things about mine, a few things in Neve's. And Steve said, when you're listening to Neve, you know, as an audience member, you just want to hear her go mad on the fiddle, on the violin, you know, because she can do that. She can do things in that instrument that nobody else in this country can. You know, and that's yeah. coming from that's coming from Steve Wickham, Steve you know, Wickham. and and he, and he, you know she has, as as Luke said, this skill set built up over years. But what, what the other thing she has, like you've just spoken about her, you know, being in these situations that she's used to being in, but she's up for crack and she's up oh, for, for trying sure. and she's up for she's trying something new, crack. you know. <laughs> so like it doesn't it doesn't have to be, you know, something that she has done for years. It can be something completely new, and she will not blink an eyelid and she'll throw herself into it. And I love that yeah. about her. Yeah, same as that, man. I think, and even from hanging out with her backstage and stuff uh, b- before shows and stuff. Granted, she knows she's very good on the stage, and she knows she can play the violin to an like an incredible level. But even when you just talk to her behind the stage, like backstage, and just chatting away, she's always mad for a bit of joking and a bit of laughing. And she's a yeah. great person to be around pre-show. Yeah. I found yeah. that for sure. I would wonder, uh, you know, that could be completely wrong, but I would wonder, are there too, are there really that many people in Ireland, if if not, the, the, you know, the, the world in general, um, who are capable of, you know, 
putting on, uh, you know, because you know when you see someone uh, leading an, an orchestra, they're generally really nicely dressed up, and you know if they're the soloist out the front of an orchestra, you know, getting getting dressed up like that and going and standing as a soloist in front of a you know, a massive symphony orchestra and performing uh, violin pieces at the absolute highest level. Mm. That someone that can do that, but is also game to put on a ridiculous looking 1970s ABBA style costume and a blonde wig and go yeah, out exactly. on the stage. You know, I have a story, so a quick story about, I have a quick story about Neve, which like sums up her backstage persona. Just talking about that wig, the, the Bee Gees <laughs> nice. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So the old girls, uh, who this was, is a, this was is a theme night back in February, Rory. Is that right? Sorry, that's correct. Night, yeah, yes. yeah, just for the a, listeners. A, yeah. Yes, a, a theme night back in back in February with um, uh, with the Bee Gees being the team and Neve Maria and who else was Neve Marie and Claire and Claire. Marie, oh, sorry, yeah, Marie were, and Claire. Yeah, yeah. So Neve is standing at the back of the line of girls, ready to go out with the violins. And she doesn't have a wig and she can't find it. <laughs> right. And there's a kind of like, a, like, where's Nee's wig? Where's Nee's wig? And somebody handed it to her. I mean, maybe four seconds before she was supposed to be on the stage. Yeah. So, Karen, you're doing your intro- introduction and she's side stage, placing on her wig. There isn't a, like a, a, there isn't a moment where she feels like under pressure. It's just, I just yeah. pop that on. You had already introduced her. And then she just stepped out onto the stage and said, hello, like, kind of like, how are you? And I just loved that. I just loved that there was no panic with her, you know? Yeah. It was yeah, just yeah. cool, calm and collected. Love it. Love it. Well, look, um, it was great having Neve on. And we'd love, as we said last week, we would love to hear um, your feedback on the episode, what you enjoyed, what pieces you enjoyed hearing Neve play. Um, we got some great feedback last week, actually. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just read out one. We got a tweet um, from Robbie Fitzpatrick, actually, Neve's husband, uh, loving these podcasts from the lads. Shami O'Dowd is one in a million, and and that's for sure. Uh, but your wife is too, Robbie, and we'd like to thank you particularly um, for uh, risking your marriage by sending us in uh, the footage of Neve that we used on social media this week. We wouldn't have got it only for you. So thank you for that, Robbie. Um, and we hope things are okay at home after it. <laughs> um, Luke, you, you you got an email, is that right? Yeah, we got an email um, from uh, Lutz in Germany. Um, Great. Kieran, I'm sure you know Lutz. He, he's, Absolutely. Uh, he comes into your gigs uh, whenever he, he's here. We recorded. Um, I recorded with Lutz you in your studio, Luke. Yeah. his pieces uh, yeah. for his album. Um Lutz a very fine uh, singer-songwriter in his own right. Um, but uh, he sent us an email just to say, hi guys, uh, that he um, he enjoyed the podcast uh, very much. He loved the stories, the kind of like uh, behind-the-scenes glimpse into kind of a musician's privacy, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And he just said that he remembers when he was... Um, in the studio, in my studio, recording for his album, and, and Shemi was uh, coming in to to do some bits, and um, I think he had sent Shemi uh, several emails and bits and ideas and stuff. Uh, I don't think Shemi had actually read them for one reason or another, but and then Shemi <laughs> arrived a little bit late, but he just came in and he um, he just said, "Oh, let's see what happens," and he just went wild on a, on a whole bunch of different instruments, and it came out um, better than Lutz had ever ever expected, and. Uh, he is a very fond memory for him. So he just said, thank you guys uh, very much for the podcast. And I love it. And many regards, Lutz. You're welcome, Great Lutz. Stuff. 
Yes, Appreciate indeed. It. Yeah, thanks for listening, Lutz. And thank you also to Connor Lynch, who commented on Facebook. I know Connor well. I was in primary school with him. Uh, I loved listening to Shamey talk about his life and music, says Connor. I especially enjoyed his etymology, not entirely correct use of the term, but uh, his etymology of Carolina Rua from the traditional air to Tom Moore's interpretation to the version he played on the pod. That was a real favourite moment of mine too, I must say, when Shamey yeah. explained it on the guitar. It was just, it was wonderful listening back to it. He, sure. Connor also says, uh, great work. Looking forward to the next one. Barry Brennan was mentioned by Shamey. I'd love to hear Barry feature on a future pod. That would be a really interesting interview well, with Barry Brennan. Yeah. Um, look, we'll get to that. Hopefully season two, we've so many ideas for guests and, uh, and we'll certainly throw Barry into the mix for sure. Uh, okay. So is that it for this week, lads? Yeah, I think so. Um, Could be Luke, time to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spoke about a sign-off last week. Um, the one yeah. we tried in week one was was one that I uh, sort of inadvertently took from a show I like, the second Captain show. Mm. Uh, you you gave us it, last week's... Yeah, and as it turns out, I think I've actually been guilty of the, uh, the same thing, a little bit of plagiarism. Um, oh, yeah. As it turns out... Um, Somebody tipped me off there during the week that uh, the sign-off that we used last week was actually a sign-off that um, two other guys who do, uh, also just coincidentally from Sligo, do at the end of all of their podcasts, the Fair Play to Me, um, Good Luck, Good Luck thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I thought about it a little bit more. The Kendi and Rainbow podcast. Um, oh, would, you, would you listen Kendi to that much, Rainbow, Luke? If you have, I, I wouldn't be. I, I, I think I listened to like one or two episodes maybe a year and a half ago and that's probably just where it was ah, still okay. in, in my head ah, somewhere okay. um, so you, like you wouldn't be a big fan of the show or no you know, no no, you, no okay. wouldn't be really my kind of thing um, right right but, are they still going or is it uh... Uh, they didn't have many like, I kind of took a look back over their um, over their the, the, the feed on Spotify there they didn't have many stuff out now the last couple of months just one every like two three weeks I think they've slowed down a little bit yeah, um, maybe, okay. they've, maybe they've petered off a bit a, a bit yeah um, but we but, still should we still shouldn't use their sign off no no no, no, no. I mean, it's theirs but interestingly enough I just thought I'll go and have a listen to these guys again right oh, yeah. I took a listen to their most um, recent episode alright and um, they were a bit shook they were a bit vexed they uh we're not happy about a um, new podcast, a new Sligo oh. podcast that had started up. All right. Um, oh, okay. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and I mean, you know, it's a free world. We're, it is you a free know. world. It is indeed. What's the uh, issue? I, I think they were just feeling a little bit outdone. Oh, oh, right. Oh, I, yeah. interesting. As in, as somebody said something to me, Luke, uh, that in that podcast, I, I haven't heard it, but they said I wouldn't listen to it myself either, no, Roy. No, 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 no. <clears throat> But they said something along the lines of, you know, they, you know, these guys in the lamplight, they have a studio and they have uh, like a, a guy on a camera nearly full time getting loads of visuals. That's right. And they have uh, the, the Don, I think was the word that they used. Don, Don Quinlione, yeah. Yeah, doing, um, doing uh, all the interviews. I don't know why they'd feel put out, Luke, to be honest. <laughs> I, well, I can kind of understand it because I think they just record their podcast in a, in a little box room, a little small bedroom upstairs. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, so they probably, okay. yeah, you know, 
anyway, look, at, I'm not out to make anybody feel. No, uh, no, absolutely, you know, Luke. Absolutely, no, no, no. Okay, yeah, all right. Well, yeah. we wish the lads the best of luck, and and yeah. you know, um, uh, you know, Hope there's room the, for uh, room for lots of lots of podcasts in yeah. this town. You know, yeah. And if look, they if they need a hand, they, they, they can need, always if, ask us. This is it. If they want any tips or anything, you know, more than welcome to to come and chat to us. Great, great, lads, lads. You are kind, selfless individuals, and you know, I hope you get you you get the reward you deserve. Um, thank you for listening, everybody. We're going to leave it at that. Uh, and we will hopefully see you next week with a brand new guest. Uh, keep in touch on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. We'll keep you up to date there. Chat to you soon. Good luck. Cheers, everybody.